And good morning. This is Alicia Bales. I am live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Good morning. Good morning. It is the local coronavirus update. We are going to get the latest on this never-ending pandemic, (laughs) Uh, talk about what's happening locally, and eventually open the phone lines up for your calls and questions. The number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. Sadly, there's still a lot to talk about uh, locally with the coronavirus pandemic. But first of all, how are you doing? How's the hospital? Hospital is, you know, okay. We are fairly close to capacities. Um, locally, regionally, hospitals are pretty tight in terms of beds. Um, so it's it's not in crisis um, right now, but... I think that crisis is fast approaching, folks. Oh, so just in time for the holidays. Your, well, I think it'll be right after the mm-hmm. holidays. Um, I, I think we're going to start to see things get pretty ugly um, probably in about a month. Is that because of the holidays or because of Omicron? or More Omicron than anything else. I mean, the holidays are certainly contributing. Um, We're just now starting to see the pickup from the Thanksgiving holiday. Oh, really? Um, Well, not so much locally, but certainly in the national numbers. And, you know, the the Christmas holiday season is going to further that trend line right as Omicron lands like a... Like a bomb on on this country, Timing, um, so we'll, huh? we'll we'll see a surge um, that's going to be pretty pretty sharp, I think, um, come mid January. So, wow, here we are still, Alicia. Yep, I got my vaccine almost exactly a year ago. That's true. It's amazing, right? So, first vaccines went out um, this week a year ago. Wow. Two years ago, the first cases of. Uh, COVID were being picked up. Um, we didn't hear about it until um, January, but they were being picked up in China um, just two years ago. So what a long, long pandemic this has been. Um, and Dr. Fauci, he almost came, he almost got to the point, being more diplomatic than me, perhaps, of saying one way or the other, this is going to end. You're either going to get COVID or you can get vaccinated. Um, and that's true. This is going to end. Um, but much like pandemics of old, this might be, well, it already is a multi-year pandemic, um, but we might still be talking about this a year or even two years down the road. Who would have thunk? Well, I mean, nobody would have thunk that first couple of months where we thought we had, you know, two weeks to stay behind closed doors and then we'd we'd get out and then schools close and yeah we like to reminisce about the the bad old days of the pandemic but i wonder when you talk about pandemics ending how do they end well they end by killing a certain fraction of the population and the rest of the population survives infection um now in this era you either survive infection or you develop immunity um and those are the options still I heard that Omicron is actually hitting people who have the quote-unquote natural immunity, people who've, who've had the virus, been infected, but not gotten vaccinated, that it's, for some reason, it, it, it hits those people more? Well, the, the so-called natural immunity induced by previous strains of the virus don't offer as much protection oh. against Omicron. So to rephrase um, what you just said, yes, that is correct. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we get too yep. far into our hour, why don't we talk about where things stand locally? Um, 
8,397 confirmed cases in the county. Uh, we are still adding 20 a day. So that's, you know, 23 per 100,000, far, far, far above the threshold of two to three per 100,000 that's considered to be a well-controlled pandemic. So it's not good yet. Um, and our county continues to be exceptionally bad um, when compared to the surrounding counties. We just tend to remain this northern california warm spot if you will it's okay in a sense that we're not seeing a surge that's overwhelming healthcare resources but it's still a lot of morbidity and mortality and uh, we're still seeing you know fairly large number of people coming through the emergency with covid symptoms um that's that's the trend and the people that are sick tend to be the unvaccinated that is um, definitely the trend. Um, we have now hit the round number of 100 deaths from COVID in this county. Um, and the latest death, I don't have any news about it, was unfortunately a juvenile um, per, per the county. It was out of Fort Bragg and um, didn't come through my hospital, at least not to my knowledge. Um, so we have now um, hit 100 deaths in this county from COVID. Um, I, I think that's actually an undercount um, in a sense, and that's certainly the trend or the gestalt when we look at the national numbers. Um, excess mortality um, over the course of the last year is about 18% um, nationwide. So that's that's a lot of excess deaths, and I think that reflects sort of all of the other um, collateral costs of COVID, um, you know, delayed care for diabetes, for heart disease, for lung disease, et cetera, et cetera, um, that is um, continuing to extract a pretty substantial toll. The state of California is up 50% um, in two weeks, so we're now adding 6,300 cases a day. Weren't we down last show? We, we had, um, I'd have to go back and look. I think we were pretty flat, uh-huh. um, and we had been sort of flat for a while, but we're starting to climb. Um, hospitalization rate is also slightly ticking upward. It's sort of a closely watched, more interesting metric to me, um, but up 10%. Uh, nationwide, we're up almost 50% in the last two weeks so we're adding now 120,000 uh, cases a day um, not you know not close to the 250,000 that we were adding sort of during the peak of Delta um, in August and July or the peak that we saw last winter but we're, we'll get there don't worry um, and deaths are climbing as well um, unfortunately we're now around 1200 nationwide deaths per day um, and I think probably today, maybe tomorrow, we're going to have seen our 800,000th um, death. Uh, so, you know, you remember those numbers, you know, Fauci et al. talked about 60 to 80,000 mm-hmm. deaths and people were shocked. And then it went up to 80 to 120 and then maybe 200 at the high end. We're now at 800,000. Oh, I remember the yeah. day that... Um that the public health officer said we might get 50 deaths in this county, and I almost fell off my chair. Uh, and now we're at twice that. Yeah. We are, as a nation, 61% um, vaccinated. That's um, not good. That's not very good, is it? No. But 
Omicron, Omicron, Omicron. Um, it is coming. Boy, two weeks ago when we did our show, we did not have a documented case in the in the country. Um, so to give you a sense of how things have changed, I think it was like the next day when a person was detected in San Francisco or yep. two days later. Uh, it is now uh, confirmed in 34 states. Um, I think when we do our show... In two weeks from now, it will probably be the dominant strain in the country. Um, it's spreading that fast. We won't have the data to verify that um, at that point, uh, just because there's going to be delay in gathering that data and getting the testing. But I think that's where we're heading. Um, it's it's just going to spread so much faster um, than Delta that it's going to swamp out Delta. And we are going to be in the Omicron peak. What a um, rock star. Yep. So the steepness of the curve, um, yeah, that's kind of gives you an idea of how transmissible it is. Um, it is markedly more steep um, when compared to the earlier earlier alpha delta um, surges. Um, so that tells us that it is much more readily transmitted. Either we don't really know why yet, and people are still hedging their bait their bets on this. But I don't think that needs to be hedged much longer. Um, but we don't really know why or how it's more readily transmitted, whether it's due to a decreased need for viral load um, or whether it is increased um, attachment to our respiratory epithelial cells. Um, that hasn't been sorted out. It doesn't really matter. This thing is super easy to get. And then how about the severity of the illness? Yeah, so severity is one question. Um, the second question that you alluded to earlier is the immune evasion. Uh-huh. Um, it does seem to have increased immune evasion, which is to say that it is easier to get symptomatic with Omicron, even if you have been vaccinated or if you have natural immunity. The combination seems to help a bit huh. more. So if um, you have had it and then were vaccinated... Yes, that seems to be that seems helpful. to help a bit more. Huh. Um, and interestingly, and I should say fortunately, um, there's also very robust data showing that the booster um, is extremely um, effective at um, preventing symptomatic uh, Omicron um, illness. So. I had been a bit tepid um, to be sure about my endorsement of the boosters, but boy, that that pendulum has swung in terms of the data. Um, It really now is imperative that if you don't want to get Omicron, that you be boosted. Mm -hmm. Um, And And that's as soon as possible. Yeah, like at the end of the show. Okay. Oh, darn. I had other plans, but... Yeah, get boosted, I do have the list of ongoing um, vaccination opportunities in the county open in front of me. So when you're ready, I can... Well, let me me finish this rift. Um, And additionally, while we're talking about boosters, um, there was a study that came out in the New England Journal... um, Latest issue, hot off the presses, I think it was, um, talking about boosters pre-Omicron. Um, and the third Pfizer booster, is only looking at Pfizer's, um, reduced mortality by 90% um, when wow. compared to the people who just got the two-dose Pfizer. So, And that was pre-Omicron. So 
the data for the booster um, got a big punch up um, in the last week. And Omicron's data, while it's still very raw and people are trying to sort out all of the grayness that we have with this as this unfolds over the last, really, it's only been four weeks since we started to hear about Omicron. Um, I think it's going to point toward um, very strong recommendation that people get boosted. And in, fra- in fact, frankly, I wouldn't consider oneself to be fully vaccinated against COVID unless you've gotten the booster at this point. Okay, yeah. that's a good distinction to make. Good yeah. to know. It's a good way to think about it. All right, so do you want me to... To let people know about how that, where and how they can get yes, boosted. Yes, get, get your pens ready, folks. Okay, Alicia's so going to give you some. This live is information from here. yep the Mendocino County Public Health site on the Mendocino County webpage, and it's sorted by days, not by location. So I'm going to start with Mondays, and these are ongoing vaccination opportunities in the county. So Mendocino County Public Health is in Fort Bragg on Mondays at 120 West 1st Street in Fort Bragg. And that's from 8 a.m. to 11.45 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. And that's um, all vaccines are available, including third doses for immune compromised and boosters. Um, And you can sign up at myturn.ca.gov, but you can also... Oh, that one's an appointment only. Um, On Tuesdays... Mendocino Coast Clinics at 205 South Street in Fort Bragg. There's a white tent on the north side of the clinic, and that's from 3 to 6 p.m. on Tuesdays. So at 3 o'clock today, you can go down there in Mendocino. Uh, I'm sorry, it's in Fort Bragg at Mendocino Coast Clinics. That's, again, all vaccines are available. Third doses for immunocompromised and boosters are available, and walk-ups are welcome today. Third doses for immune compromised is old news, right? So okay. everybody can get the booster. So it's at this point. yeah, it's boosters. So it's yeah, not, we I, don't need that caveat anymore. Okay, I will stop reading that part. Yeah. Uh, that part. Yeah. Um, Mondays and Wednesdays in Willits, uh, Mendocino County Public Health Willits uh, at four seventy four East Valley Street in Willits, you can get your booster or vaccinated twelve thirty p.m. to four fifteen p.m. Walkups are welcome. Ongoing Tuesdays and Fridays is Laytonville. At that, that's at the Long Valley Health Center, 50 Branscombe Road, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. So you can go there right after the show today, 10 a.m. to noon on Tuesday and 9 to 11 on Friday. That's in Laytonville. Walk-ups are welcome. And then Fridays is the Ukiah Fairgrounds at Carl Purdy Hall, 1055 North State Street, 9 to 5, all day Friday in Ukiah. You can get your booster, you can get vaccinated, and walk-ups are welcome. And you can see that list and more information about testing and vaccination at mendocinocounty.org slash community. So there you have it. Good. All right. Get boosted, everybody. Run, don't walk. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't mean to be all doom and gloom. Actually, we are as I stated at the beginning of the hour, in a much different place than we were a year ago. Uh, We have this vaccine. It is extraordinarily effective, despite, I know, the anxious, non-vaccinated crowd amongst us. Um, But we also have these um, other treatments that we didn't have a year ago. Um, Really, um, in the course of the past year, we've learned... Um, both better how to manage the sick COVID patients. It's still a very serious illness, to be sure. Um, But we also have in the pipeline um, 
these pills, uh, one from um, one from uh, Pfizer and then Molnupiravir. The Pfizer drug um, just had a data dump today from Pfizer, um, which shows extremely high effect at reducing death on the order of 88 to 90 percent. Um, so an extraordinarily effective um, oral medication um, that will reduce the risk of death by almost a factor of 10. Wow. Does that does vaccination status matter? It does. Um, and so that study looked at about 2,200 vaccinated I'm sorry, unvaccinated people that were at high risk. Um, they had a smaller subset of around 600, I believe, six or 700 people um, who were vaccinated and not at high risk. And that showed it's a small group. It's only six or 700, but it appears to indicate a 60 to 70 percent reduction in mortality. So a very effective um drug that's an oral medication that can be um, prescribed the catch is it has to be started early in the illness Um, and so um, whether it's three days or five days the dust hasn't really settled but certainly um, within five days is kind of where I think it's going to come out once it gets FDA emergency use authorization that sounds like a lot of time but when you think about the actual sequence of events necessary so you have to first get symptomatic you have to finally recognize that you might be symptomatic you have to get a test somewhere that's going to be recognized so probably not going to be a home test until we get some sort of qr code national database that can utilize those home tests um and then you have to see a medical provider to confirm the test positivity and prescribe the medication which you then have to pick up from a pharmacy and start taking all that has to happen within, certainly within five days, maybe within three days. That's that's a tall order. Huh. Um, well, what's the best practice then? Frequent testing? Uh, certainly, as we move forward, um, particularly if you're you know, if you have a risk factor for doing poorly from COVID, um, the moment you start to become symptomatic, you should get tested. So it's about being symptomatic. It's not about having a positive test. Correct. Correct. Will they not prescribe it if you are unsymptomatic, asymptomatic? That's a great question. Um, and the answer is I don't know right. um, yet. Um, there's talk that it would actually be um, prescribed um, prophylactically. So if you had a known exposure, for example, to somebody with COVID, yeah. it might make sense. We don't have this data yet to take this course of medications um, to prevent to prevent illness, really, um, sort of post-exposure prophylaxis. Do we know about the side effects? Would it be something you could do with very minimal So there, there, there is concern more around the molnupiravir, uh, which modifies the RNA of the virus um, to sort of insert a series of fatal mutations that basically causes it to self-destruct. That is so sci-fi. It is sci-fi, so that obviously causes concerns because you don't want it to be inserting fatal mutations into human DNA cell lines. Um, In laboratory studies, it had been shown to be able to do that at very high doses in petri dish sort of situation. So it's certainly not going to be the molnupiravir. We're talking about molnupiravir now. It was Um, shown to be able to penetrate human cells? 
Well, it can penetrate human cells because it has to it well, has to okay. to a lot of work. The RNA thing, the trick it does with the RNA. Correct. Okay. So, but it can induce DNA mutations um, at very high doses. It's much like a chemotherapy agent. I mean, that's how almost all chemotherapy works by you know penetrating cells and. And, and disrupting their replication, right? So cancer cells grow fast. So if you develop a drug that kills fast-growing cells, then you stop the cancer. That's kind of chemotherapy in a very simplistic one-liner. Um, this works similarly, which is to say it has the potential for toxicity, much like chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think molnupiravir um, is probably not going to become the blockbuster um, that many of us hoped it would have been six weeks ago when we first saw that data. Um, and further analysis of that data has also sort of attenuated our hope for efficacy. It's probably dropped down to about 30% effective at reducing severe illness or death, rather than the 50 or 60% that was originally um, you know, seen or thought to be seen. The Pfizer drug um, does not have that mechanism. Um, it is a protease inhibitor, so it messes up with a protein that helps the virus um, um, replicate, and it blocks the replication. So it's not going to have the same um, genome genetic concerns that molnupiravir has, and it is um, going to have a very high safety um, profile. It's going to be a very safe medication. The problem is we have a whole bunch of molnupiravir in the pipeline that we'll have within the next month or two. And the uh, Pfizer drug um, is, well, it's probably going to be another month or two behind. Um, So it probably won't really be here to help us much with this Omicron Mm -hmm. surge, um, at least not in the next month. So there you have it. Yeah, timing is everything. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting about the difference between the two. And, you know, when people are scared and facing an unknown outcome of their illness and have comorbidities, they tend to be willing, more open to take the riskier treatments. Oh, I to be sure. I mean, by far the safest and most effective way still, and I, I've said this before, um, of avoiding severe COVID is to get the vaccine. But boy, when I see people with severe COVID who are unvaccinated in the emergency room, they're willing to accept anything um to help them feel better because you know they are really sick some of them um and at that point obviously the vaccine is too late um but they there is wide acceptance of the antibody infusion which is still emergency use authorization you know it is you know it sounds scary it's made by regeneron um it's a combination of two antibodies that are synthesized in a lab somewhere very effective um much much more effective than a lot of us had or that i had um initially anticipated um and we have it here in this county um and we administer it to people who are at moderately increased risk of getting bad covid Mm -hmm. and yet still we see pretty regular deaths in this county we do yes all right well on that note i'm just starting to get sort of the heaviness of this state that we're in right now with the show 
today. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this is here we go. We're we're gearing up for another surge. It's coming, folks. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a bad January, I'm afraid. Yeah. So it makes me grateful to you for continuing to do this show, even though I know it's not your uh, idea of the best way you'd like to spend your Tuesday. But thank you for continuing to stick with it. I would say it's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> but it ain't. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. And this is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Should we open up the phone lines? We have. Oh, My goodness, wow. I, have, I have talked for almost half the show, so I apologize for that, folks. Lots of good information. Um, 707-895-2448 is the number to call. We'll take our first call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Thank you for the show. Um, when you keep saying Pfizer over and over again about it's good for this, it's good for that. Are you including Moderna? Because nobody's ever saying Moderna anymore on the news. They just mentioned Pfizer. Yeah, so Pfizer, it's a little bit confusing because Pfizer is also the the company that's bringing out this Paxlovid, um, this pill medication. So I don't mean to be, you know, a spokesperson for Pfizer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But and I will say that the Moderna shot um, is still producing more, you know, the Moderna vaccine is still producing more durable immunity um, against all strains of COVID than Pfizer. So Moderna is just as good. Don't worry about okay. that. Including the new one. Inclu- including the new. Yes, we don't have quite as much data yet, but I think it will be borne out to be just as effective, if not more effective. Um, okay. So if you've been vaccinated with Moderna or if you've been boosted with Moderna, yeah. um, that I is fine. I got all three shots Moderna. Yeah, that, that is, that you are well protected at this point. You don't need to worry about Moderna somehow being less effective. Um, okay. And those of us who have been sort of mix and matched um, vaccinated, that, that seems to be as effective as well okay and then i was just gonna i don't know if there's time but i'm concerned because the people that we love and care about there's so much bs going around as in what happened at the co-op and all the myths and what was on the discussion how do you talk to someone logically to, to say i really care about you and all of us please get the shots and I will hang up. And there's so much resistance, it's terrifying to me that intelligent people, you know, they say, I don't trust the government. I don't trust the drug companies. All right, I will hang up and hear what you have to say. And thank you for the show. Sure. So, yeah, that's that really is, um, you know, what has thrown us all into a tiz, um, trying to get beyond this 61 percent vaccine um, uptake. Um, it really has uh, resulted in extremely large number of excess deaths um, nationwide or even in this county, I will say, um, and is frustrating. Um, logic really doesn't work. Um, I, you know, I'm not a tout for the big drug companies, but when we see numbers that Pfizer's two drugs, one, their vaccine, and second, this pill, are probably going to be the two 
best-selling medical drugs ever brought to market, right? So we're talking $30 billion for each of them, profit to Pfizer. It certainly does undermine one's confidence in the healthcare system. So it's easy from that perspective to see why there is some skepticism. It's easy when we are looking at a government that can't organize itself around climate change or around a lot of other science-based things to say, I don't trust them. The problem is, it's also really easy to get COVID. Um, and so you end up with this disconnect until suddenly you get COVID. And at that point, one's, you know, one's options narrow considerably. So I, I, don't, have, I don't have an answer um, as to how to persuade people to get vaccinated. Um, all I can tell people in the ER is you will get COVID. Uh, COVID is going to find you. And Fauci basically said that this, this week as well. One way or the other, your body's going to develop antibodies to COVID. It might do it now with Omicron coming in multiple different forms. Um, I, you know, I prefer um, the controlled antibody response um, because we know it's safer and more effective um, than the chaotic natural immunity of a COVID infection. One of the things that has been um, increasing is the idea that there are uh, that there is better different information about the vaccines and yeah. about the treatments and about Fauci and everything that you can find on the internet. And one of the things that I've really um, been committed to this whole pandemic is that y- your sources have to be good. Yeah, it's. I mean, we live in an alternative fact world these days. You can you can live in any sort of sphere of idiocy um that you want and you can have confirmation bias for any for anything i mean there was a there was an article in the new york times about birds not being real right there's this spoof of conspiracy theories that's gaining traction and now suddenly you know there's a cohort of people who actually don't recognize it as being a spoof i mean we live in an idiocracy um honestly and that has that has deep, deep roots with our underfunding of education, our, under, our failure to teach civics, our failure to teach science, our failure to understand how a government is supposed to function. And it's all being laid bare with this blasted pandemic that we've been talking about for two years. True that. Let's take another call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hello. Um, yeah, I wanted to add another uh, couple of things that might help people understand the skepticism. Um, The failure of uh, the AMA medical community, the uh, petrochemical, pharmaceutical industry, etc., to admit um, past errors. Um, For instance, with antibiotics, uh, you know, every I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years or so, they trot out in the news and the newspapers how uh, the overuse and misuse of of, uh, laboratory antibiotics uh, actually mm, make the uh, things that they're fighting stronger, okay? This is science. This is science that has been known for decades and decades and decades. It was at least 50 years ago when I first heard about it. And, um, and even in the medical community, like in hospitals and whatnot, they're just, they've just now, the past couple of years, have been realizing if they're like, uh, 
afraid of getting sued, if they don't acknowledge their mistakes, then they don't learn from them and correct them. Okay? And this is not confessing, not admitting past errors. Um, very righteously and appropriately creates skepticism for present and future trustworthiness. That's why we need good journalism. Agreed. I I couldn't agree with you more, ma'am. You know, the medical profession um, has had a long-standing tradition of circling the wagons. Um, I think it has improved um, since I went through training 20 years ago. I think it has changed quite a bit. But to be sure, when I started medical school in the late 90s, um, the notion still being taught then, um, being, you know, touted by Big Pharma was to treat the pain to zero. Um, You know, we you wanted to get pain, you know, it was scaled, it was required to be scaled, it still is. You come to the ER, we ask you for a number from 1 to 10, it has to be 1 to 10. Um, and the idea was to treat that pain to zero. That was being driven by big pharma. You know, the Sacklers didn't get a wing at the Met um, for nothing. Um, and, you know, those kind of mistakes, that kind of um, big pharma driven um you know, bad medicine um, has really undermined um, confidence. We don't need to. We don't need to go all the way back to Tuskegee, right? To talk yeah, about it's the motive. It's the motive thing. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think the, the motive are the motive. Yeah, I, I, you can't get the good results. And and then one other kind of fundamental thing is how often has man truly and in what context? How often and in what context has man truly improved on nature? Oh, I think, you know, I think quite like often, actually. Baking bread, you know, if, baking bread, I'll say yes. Yeah, I, I actually think, you know, despite um, what you're saying and what I'm agreeing with, um, the arc of medicine um, over the last 150 years has resulted in you know, doubling of human lifespan, right? So that's that's a pretty substantial improvement over nature. The natural course... And inv- inventing new diseases, too, though. Inventing new injuries and new diseases. And the accounting, all of it isn't factored in. Well, you know, in yeah. a way, we're all being experimented on when we uh, cooperate with this. You know, and it's like... Uh, anyway, I just... The discourse and the, uh, you know, getting in this camp and, you know, uh, each side is calling the other side idiots, uh, you know, evil and stupid. Um, the, the nature of the discourse itself is a clue that we're not having the right conversation. Yeah, I'm just okay? not sure. I'm not sure what that conversation would be then um, is the problem. Exactly. That's the place to start. Yeah. Where well, the problem we is we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Well, we know a lot. We really do know a lot and and Dr. Colfax knows a lot about the state of the pandemic and what to do to keep us safe. Yeah, I mean, you're asking you're asking really sort of meta questions about where we're going as a society or as a as a world um at this point given, you know, global climate change, etc. I mean, that's you know, those are interesting philosophical questions. I I am a no, clinical. I'm asking them in a very, very practical way. Well, okay. You no, know, right. because science, we, you know, it's like, you know, we know that uh, climate change is largely human cause. It's entirely human cause. Why are we? Why are we saying that over here, 
uh, you know, it, it, we're not doing human error. Well, it's because we're, it's so friggin' profitable. You know, don't let those pharmaceutical companies, you know, limit their ability to make a profit. There'd be a correction, and then it's kind of like, oh, well, shish, this is, might be hardly worth it. You know, put integrity into the process. Well, These are the kinds of questions. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, to sort of narrow the question a bit, um, I, I think the fundamental flaw that we have in our healthcare system in this country is that we have a fragmented for-profit healthcare system um, that results in millions, if not billions, in the case of some of the big companies, of uh, annual profits, right? So we see yeah. Um, we see predatory. this. Well, uh, yeah, it, it's it, predatory. All right. So the problem, however, is that we don't have a nonprofit um, equitable healthcare delivery system that is unified nationwide, and there are extremely powerful interests that are going to continue to block that from occurring unless we continue to push for broader. Um, more equitable distribution of health care in this country. And it, you know, we see it at a local level. You know, driving to the studio this morning, I was listening to Dr. Miller talk about the nursing home that is, you know, at threat of closure in Fort Bragg because we don't have a national system of elder care in this country that is coherent and nonprofit based. Instead, we have this profit based, incoherent um, system that collapses here and there because it's expensive taking care of elderly people and the the profit margin is very hard to extract from an octogenarian needing dialysis um and so it's it's just a completely backward system that we have pieced together over the last 60 years um it would be a very easy fix to expand medicare by five years every five years and within a generation we would have we will have fixed this problem. But that, you know, is a dream. And when when our answer is withdraw from the corrupt system, we're not actually coming up with coherent solutions like that and, and advocating and organizing for them. So it's there is a consequence. Let's take our next call. Oh, they dropped off. So, oh, no, here they are. 707-895-2448. Good morning. You are live on the air. Hi, I'm going to agree with the last caller 100%, you know, not with any um, uh, opinion towards the virus and or vaccinated. You know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but uh, just overall trust of these pharmaceutical companies is just dwindling. And it's not, you can just throw the word science out there. It doesn't make sense anymore. You know, like, we're starting to get really sick of it. Pfizer is the world's largest criminal. They've paid the largest criminal fine in the history of humankind. That's a fact. Why do you trust them? Why do you trust them? All right, They're so, criminal. All right. Why so, do you trust them? Yeah, I, I, I don't so, trust... Okay, I'm potting you down so that he can answer your question. Yeah, so it's not the question as to whether I trust Big Pharma or Pfizer in particular. I trust the data. And if you don't trust the data, then we're all lost, right? So you have to trust the studies. You have to trust the data that's published and is peer-reviewed. That's what I look to. We can talk about how Big Pharma is evil or how Small Pharma is evil or how you don't like the Ford Motor Corporation or whatever else you want to talk about. But... 
I look at the data, and that's what I'm here to talk about is the facts. We can get into this metaverse. We can navel gaze all we want. We are in a very privileged community here. We all have very good access to health care. We should all be vaccinated. Um, it's just that easy. All right. Let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry for double dipping. According to the data, they put the data out there. We know it. It's fudged. It's fudged. They're liars. Okay. They will lie. All right. So All come right. on. All right. Wake up. We're gonna we're gonna fade you out because you're just ranting about Pfizer and lies and really, I I I I think I've said enough about this. Well, my question too is who among us has the expertise to read these studies and make sense of them. Everybody's reading all sorts of stuff. But it's I, hard, right? I mean, you, you, you want to what? You want to study how to, how to interpret, you know, the eff- efficacy of a vaccine, right? Okay, so get your PhD, get your MD, you know, put in the 14 years of study, um, and then come back as a trained epidemiologist in virology, and we can talk about whether this vaccine is effective or not, right? But at some point, you're going to have to trust the scientists who have spent their careers doing this, whether they work for Pfizer, whether you work for the CDC or some, you know, university hospital system, um, I don't care. But these are people who actually do the work. Now, the CEOs, I agree, you know, to quote Trotter, I'd be happy to see them dragged no, out into the street. Stop! But, but I, you know, I do trust the science and the science is what is keeping us alive. All right. Let's take our next call. Lively discussion. Indeed. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, um, I'm wondering if you can over-vaccinate if you, my, my mom sent my dad to go get his flu shot, and he got another full dose of COVID vaccine. Yeah, that's a good question, and the answer is probably no. Um, and in fact, I have, you know, I have suggested um, that the immune suppressed, the, so the people who are significantly immune suppressed, um, either due to drugs or to uh, diagnosed medical condition should discuss with their providers getting more than three doses of the vaccine. Um, there's there's pretty good data to suggest that that would actually boost immunity to an effective level. Um, I know um, that several people have been unfortunately given too much of the vaccine at some of the vaccine events due to medical error, um, and that didn't show any adverse effect. So getting overdosed on the vaccine either um, intentionally or inadvertently, um, I don't think is going to produce any significant um, harm. Oh, well, that's, that's good news because, you know, they, they're they so careful to provide, you know, I guess what do they do? They just decide what the minimum is and, and give you that kind of a thing? Yeah, so, you know, the, the testing, the drug trial, um, you know, first it makes sure that it's safe, sort of doesn't kill the cells in a Petri dish, um, and then it goes through a multi-stepped trial, and towards the end of the trial process, um, they start to look at what is the effective um, the minimum effective dose. Um, and so the minimum effective dose is kind of the last step of a drug trials testing process. Um, and that's how they came up with the doses, not just for these vaccines, but for, you know, ibuprofen or acetaminophen. Um, oh, yeah, that's, sure. that's, that's kind of how it works for any medication. Um, you want it to work um, at the lowest dose possible. But but the vaccine, yeah, and the vaccine, to be sure, like any drug, it has a safety margin, and the safety margin for this vaccine is 
you know, it, it hasn't been well characterized, but let's just say it's quite high, which is to say you could probably take 10 times too much of the vaccine in a single dose, and it would be very unlikely for it to produce a significant toxicity. And it wouldn't fight itself, sort of. It's, thing, it's right? not going to fight itself, no. Oh, okay, well, thanks for the info. Yep. All right, thanks for the call. Bye. This is the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax. The number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. We'll take our next call. Good morning, Kali. You're live on the air. Hi. I'm I'm not sure if I heard this correctly on the news, but I, I'm, I thought I heard that if a child is vaccinated between the ages of 5 years and 18 years old, that if they get the virus, they can still go to school. But if they... If you're not vaccinated, you can't go to school. Is is that the CDC's new rules uh, or protocol? I'm wondering. No, I, I I haven't heard that. I'm not sure um, where that might be coming from. If if you have the virus, if you've tested positive, you still need to isolate. That hasn't changed as to whether you're vaccinated or not. Um, and you know, there's good reason for that, obviously. Um, and I I don't know where that would come from other than perhaps it was conflation of being vaccinated um, versus unvaccinated and maybe that's somehow affecting whether you can go to school if there's been an exposure but even that I don't think has resulted in any change in the in the standard guidelines okay um, maybe you might want to check into that I, I, I will hear that yeah I think I did hear that on the radio. And also, uh, as to um, being educated and going to school and learning uh, to be a virologist, um, dot, 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 um, I think it's still uh, very adequate to want to influence and inspire the public to read uh, some of the research studies themselves. And I know there has been people in the past that have asked you to give some uh some of your resources, and I and I would suggest that you do that. Um, it might help people. Uh, also, as far as the masking is concerned, it seems that I think everybody thinks that it's people who have not been vaccinated that don't want to wear masks. But there's a lot of people that have been vaccinated that don't want to wear masks too. And I'm wondering why, if 70 percent or so of the public has been vaccinated, why people still have to wear masks. And whether or not people have got tested for oxygen balances in their blood for wearing masks all day, that would be science to find out if actually wearing a mask does cut down on the oxygen to your blood and your brain. And I will take your conversations to that off the air. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, I, I don't. I did not mean, just to be clear, I did not mean to suggest people shouldn't do their own research. But to be sure, it takes you know about a year and a half of study to learn what, how to distinguish a good study, a good published medical study, from a bad one. Um, and there's there are classes that go on and on and on talking about statistics and the numbers um, and the analysis that is performed um, to you know make informed decision as to whether this is reliable data. So it's it's not just a question of saying, oh, you should read the New England Journal of Medicine um, or JAMA or go to the Johns Hopkins website or UCSF website and follow those links, which is what I do um, on a weekly basis. Um, but 
it's also a question of knowing how to interpret that. And that's, that's just not easy. It really isn't, honestly. Um, but, you know, knock yourself out. Um, you know, those are, those are the sources that are sort of the best, most reputable sources. Um, and, you know, call back, I guess. I do warn you, however, it will make your eyes glaze over unless you really want to go down the wormhole of learning, you know, statistical multi-regression analysis or the number needed to treat um, and what that exactly means. But go for it. Second, um, masking and oxygen levels. I Yeah, there's no data to suggest that the mask um, causes drops in your oxygen levels or some sort of imbalance um, in any way that is measurable or clinically significant. I certainly think we all are sick and tired of wearing our masks. I don't like wearing my mask. I wear it all day. Um, every day I'm at work. Um, we all should be wearing it particularly with this new, much more transmissible variant um, coming at our heels um, for the simple reason that these masks actually work quite well. However, um, here's a caveat for y'all. Um, you know, this, this pandemic has really unfolded in a fairly chaotic way. Um, and as you look at sort of the heat map right now, um, New England, um, the New England states are the hot states, um, you know, showing much, much, much increased rate of um, COVID um, in states that are the highest vaccinated. That can cause a lot of cognitive dissonance, right? It's like, well, why is Vermont doing so poorly when they have a vaccine rate? It's one of the highest in the country. And I think the reason actually has to do more with how well they have done um, over the course of the last two years, um, rather than any sort of, oh, see, this doesn't work the way you think it works. Um, it really reflects a greater degree of naive population in some of these states as the virus yo-yos around the nation. It's coming to California. We are sort of in a lull right now um, in terms of our cases, but in the next month, we're going to start to see a red-hot surge, I'm afraid. All right. Well, yep. just in time for Christmas and New Year's. Oh, it'll be after Christmas. <laughs> Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Yes, is that me? Yep, that's you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the show. Appreciate this show. Uh, I have a question for the uh, doctor. Yeah. I, my daughter lives in Colorado right now. She's coming out to visit us. She was tested positive. She's had her vaccinations. She's tested positive for COVID, did not have any symptoms until a few days ago. Now she's having a loss of smell, but she's not real sick. And she's just about to her 10-day isolation time. Is she still contagious? That's the question. How long yeah, so contagion? The the general the, the the guideline, the standard is ten days. Um um after it's been simplified um to after the time of your being tested. In reality, um it really should be ten days um after your resolution of fevers, if you want to be absolutely um certain. The symptoms aren't quite as easily tracked because as we've learned, some people have persistence of symptoms well <coughs> past any contagiousness. And the loss of smell and taste, it typically is a very brief sort of thing, um, on the order of two to three days. But some people have that loss for two to three weeks. Um it doesn't mean they're still contagious. It just means that, that hasn't those nerves have not yet come back online. Um, so if you want to be if you want to be cautious, um, and if her only symptoms are loss of smell, 
I would say you know ten days is 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 certainly adequate. That's the, that's the standard. Um, if you err out to two weeks, I think your likelihood of um, her likelihood of spreading COVID um, has vanished to a extremely small number, you know, on the on the order of something less than one tenth of one percent chance, um, and so that's that's a manageable risk, I think, for any of us. Well, thank you. That's great. That's good news. Yeah, thank you. And it's okay. you know, it's it's as we as we navigate um, pa- the pandemic through this holiday season, um, and you know with this Omicron Omicron um, variant coming on our heels, it's important to keep in mind what our individual risks are, right? And so we all have sort of a risk assessment. Um, the risks have become more manageable, right? We know steroids work. We know we have monoclonal antibodies. We are soon going to have pills, although we don't have them yet, that might help um, shorten or decrease the risk of severe illness. Um, and so the risks have dropped precipitously from a year ago. You know, presuming that I'm speaking to the vaccinated amongst us. If you're unvaccinated, well, I'll see you in the ER, right? Um, but the rest of it, the risks are really pretty manageable at this point. I mean, it's bad. It's going to get bad. Hospitals are going to fill up. We're going to, you know, not have beds for people who need surgery for non-COVID-related illnesses again come January. I see that train coming. Um, but the risks associated to each of us individually from COVID, you know, if you're fully vaccinated, are really on the order of your average flu season at this point. And fully vaccinated means boosted at this point. I think that's what it has to mean. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting ahead of the CDC on this one, but yes. Do you want to try one more call? Oh, sure. (laughs) I mean, do you? Shall we? (laughs) Lost it. All right. Well. Well, call that caller. I was talking on and on. There you go. There we go. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Yep. Cool. So um, I just wanted to point out, we were talking about uh, peer-reviewed science and journals and so forth and following the data. Um, British Medical Journal just released an article that showed that Ventavia, who was contracted by Pfizer to do the vaccine trials, um, was not following proper practices when they were doing the trials. So from the beginning, Pfizer's results um, are questionable. And um, so that needs to be taken into account. I'd also encourage people to do some research and look for peer-reviewed journal articles on the use of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and some of these other things that our media has given such a terrible name to. All right, let's just take this caller off the air. I, you know, there's there's really no data um, to suggest either ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine as being effective for the treatment of COVID. And I, I, I'm not sure what axe this caller is grinding, um, but it is a dull axe to be sure, and frankly, tiresome. All right. Well, for people who keep bringing up the ivermectin stuff, go for it. Go to go to Redwood. Go to the farm supply. Buy your ivermectin. <laughs> overdose on it and come to the emergency room. Well, I guess you'll you'll see them. But I yeah. mean, it's exactly what we were talking about. With every, anybody can bring up anything and say this is peer reviewed and da da da. I mean, for me, it's just about finding sources that I trust. And I trust you as a source. I mean, you're not a member of the media or, you know, somehow on some gravy train with with the 
Just to be clear, just to be clear, I am not paid or sponsored by any big pharma company. I do not work for Adventist Health. I am not an employee of any state or local government. I am an ER doctor under contract with a group that provides emergency services at Adventist Ukiah Emergency Room. I have no dog in this hunt. I am not here to sell you any sort of snake oil. I'm just interested in trying to keep our community safe. Um, and I, I frankly am losing patience as are many healthcare providers with this continued fantasy world that a minority of us like to live in. It's fine. You can, we can live in a fantasy world. The problem is that fantasy is making the rest of us um, at increased risk of getting sick. And I, I don't like to live um, proximal to other people's fantasy worlds. It's tiresome, and in this case, it's dangerous. All right. So we are at the end of the hour. Um, we have about a minute and a half left, so I don't want to take another call, unfortunately. But oh, the switchboard's lit up. It sure is. Yeah. All four lines yeah. now blinking away. Yeah. It always happens at the end of the hour, but uh, we will be back in two weeks. Yes. So save up your questions. You can also email them if you want to dj at kzyx.org, um, and we can take them that way. Um, anything you, else you want to say? We're coming up into Christmas and yeah, New Year's. I, you know, I was sort of saying what I wanted to say at the end just a minute ago. Um, assess your own risk. Um, um, it really does come down to that. It's not nearly as fraught as it was a year ago. Um, wear your mask, uh, despite the previous caller's concerns. Be fairly safe. This this new variant is going to be much more readily transmitted. Um, so the six-foot distancing and avoidance of crowd... Um, we should really be mindful of the six-foot distancing again. We, well, we should be, you know, over the course of the next month. The numbers are going to get pretty high. It's going to get here pretty fast, and it's going to spread pretty rapidly, even amongst the fully three-dose uh, vaccinated. Um, it doesn't mean that we're going to get sick from it, but it does mean, you know, when I say sick, like hospitalized right. sick. Um, but it does mean that we're going to get it much more easily um, over the course of the it's next gonna month. It's going to be burning yeah. through our population. Yes. What about uh, moving festivities outside? Is that still a good idea? I, you know, outside is always better than inside. Um, whether that's going to hold up with this new variant, I don't know, but I think it will. I'm not quite as confident that the outside venue is going to offer the near absolute protection um, that it did with the previous strains, just because this virus seems to be able to jump into our respiratory tracts quite readily. And it's cold out there. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to leave it at that then. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks, Drew. Yes. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, callers. It was a fun show. Yep. You love that stuff. Oh, I do indeed. It makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And thanks, everybody, for listening and continuing to keep yourself informed about COVID. And we are in this together. We'll get through it best we can. This has been the Local Coronavirus Update podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax, produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg, California. You can also hear us live on the web 24 hours a day at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us in our new time every second and fourth Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Our live studio call-in number is 
895-2448. You can also email your questions anytime at dj at kzyx.org. And you can always catch us right here as a podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams. And our outro music is a song called Stump Town, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. We'll see you next time.